Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hi, Ashley. Hello, Candy. Happy spring break. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're on spring break. It is. It's the first day of spring break. Are you going to have a good one? I am. I'm excited. We're going on a little trip. That'll be nice. And I'm also excited because this episode that we are going to record today is going to be super special. You know what it is. Our audience is going to be thrilled, I think, to to join us on this one, too. But to share an extra special surprise that's going to go with it, I thought I would let this little clip speak for itself. The husband and wife team of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz ruled the television airwaves in the 1950s as Lucy and Ricky Ricardo with their groundbreaking situation comedy, I Love Lucy. A total of 180 episodes aired from 1951 through 1957, producing some of the most iconic moments in television history. Recreating some of those moments are the husband and wife team of Carrie and Jeff Ketterman as Lucy and Ricky Ricardo. Very cool. (laughs) So guys, our theme, of course, for the month is these comedians who built an empire. And our focus today will be Lucille Ball, along with her husband, Desi. He'll feature in a lot of this too. And so we thought it would be so fun and such a treat to have our friends, Carrie and Jeff Ketterman, who we know through the theater community. That's how we met them, and we Mm -hmm. are proud to call them friends. Mm -hmm. They were kind enough to send us several audio clips that you are going to hear sprinkled throughout this episode, and also some little videos that we are going to be sharing on our website and our show notes, and also on our Scandal Water podcast Facebook page. Very nice. Very nice. And I have not heard these yet. You asked me not to listen to them, so I'd have a fresh perspective. That's right. Mm. We thought that would be a fun surprise. Yes. Well, Carrie and Jeff are such Lucy and Desi fans that they have actually created their own tribute show around this celebrity couple. And they will tell us at the end, we're going to hear some of their events that are coming up. Mm-hmm. But but this is why they know so much about Lucy and Desi mm-hmm. and they can offer their perspective mm-hmm. as we talk about their lives and how they were these people who built an empire. Mm-hmm. Sounds yeah. like Carrie and Jeff are building their own empire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They also have a really cool trailer that we're going to talk about here. In Not a- so long. The Not So Long mm-hmm. trailer, exactly. So Ashley, yes. tell me about I Love Lucy. Is this one of those shows that you watched growing up or where are you with it? You know, actually, I just saw clips. I have seen hmm. all the famous clips, you know, the mm-hmm. Vita Vita Benjamin yes, and yes. the grapes and all that kind of stuff. But it's weird to say that I didn't watch her very much because I love Carol Burnett mm-hmm. and Carol Burnett is one of her mentees I guess she mentored her. But I had this thing as a kid where loud voices scared me. Huh. So she was really loud in yep, that. she was loud. And I think the way that she spoke was almost like somebody who 
needs a microphone when you're on stage and you're projecting, mm-hmm. but you're not mic'd. So she kind of had that loud mm-hmm. projecting voice. And it just always kind of scared me when I was younger. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. And nothing against her. Right. I recognize her contribution to society. I really like that Carrie and Jeff have made a career of doing this. Mm-hmm. But just for me personally, when I was littler, it just frightened me. She wasn't this comforting maternal figure to you. She was just a little too maybe aggressive and yeah. scared you a bit. Yeah, a little too aggressive. If, huh. if you haven't noticed, I was a bit of a weird, sensitive kid. <laughs> if we haven't touched on that before. Not, you were not a weird, sensitive kid, I'm sure. <laughs> but Okay, well, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. So, well, then did you watch the documentary? I did. I oh, did. Wasn't it great? It was very good. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the, the first half of it was a little tough. I preferred her when she was in her earlier career, before she became Lucy Ricardo, mm. because she didn't have the scary voice. She talked like a normal, well, quote unquote, normal person to me. But the second half of the documentary, when they got to, I, I don't guess this is spoilers, but when, when their daughter was talking about when Desi was passing away and mm-hmm. the last phone call together, oh my goodness, I teared up. Me too. I was very moved. And the part where she, he was very sick and she came over mm-hmm. and Lucy Jr. put on episodes of their show mm-hmm. and they were just watching it together. And it really struck me how for the first time they were watching this show as an audience, mm-hmm. but they also had all of the memories right. that are attached with it. So like if you and I I watch a movie or a program or a, a stage show that we were a part of years later. We see it, but we also remember right. what went into it. Yeah. And I just felt this overwhelming melancholy and sadness thinking of their whole lives and how much they loved each other, but yes. yet could not uh, could not be together. No, they could not have a relationship no. that lasted anyway. Yeah, and one yeah. of the points that Lucy made, that Lucy Jr. made that really hit me is she said the reason they started this show was so that they could be together. Mm-hmm. And now America has this show and they didn't have each other which right. is all they ever wanted yeah Crazy. wow that was i thought that was powerful too um guys if you have not had a chance to check it out what we're discussing is the documentary that was directed by amy poehler called mm-hmm. lucy and desi mm-hmm. and amazon it's on amazon mm-hmm. and it is i thought amazing and what i thought was super cool and, and ashley's kind of already touched on this a little bit is that it's really told primarily by lucy and desi themselves and also their daughter and all these people close mm-hmm. to them because Lucy Arnaz Luckenbill is the name of, of Lucy and Desi's daughter. And she reveals that her parents had kept these audio tapes. She estimated more than 20 something. Yeah. And they actually took these audio tapes and you were hearing so many memories mm-hmm. that were recounted mm-hmm. by Lucy, some from Desi, and then again, filling in all these other friends and family members and, and their daughter, Lucy, played a huge role in this, you could yeah. tell. And you know something else that, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but I like to try to say it when I'm thinking it. Something else I came away with was a huge amount of res- respect for both of them mm-hmm. because they came from absolutely nothing. Right. And how much they love family and how mm-hmm. important family was to them. But also my respect for Desi. Yes, I agree. And how much he was involved in her success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did not realize how integral he was to the success and how, I guess, I also identified with him a little bit as someone who did not have the education for what he ended up doing and he just kind of figured it out he as he made went it he made it happen and she did too but she by her own admission she said when he ran things she just got to be the clown mm-hmm. as you guys know we kind of we kind of always like to start in the beginning and then we walk through the history so mm-hmm. we are going to of course go through their lives but just a little spoiler alert it was interesting to me that desi actually started from wealth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then lost it all when mm-hmm. he moved from cuba to america and that's when he 
had to start all over right. as basically somebody right. who had nothing. So, right. And I think we need to rephrase that. He didn't move here. He was a refugee. That's exactly and right. I, yes. I liked the point that she made, that somebody made in the film where they said an immigrant is someone who wants to come to this mm-hmm. country. A refugee is someone who has to That's for exactly political right. reasons. He loved his homeland. I mean, he mm-hmm. would have gone back. Like that mm-hmm. was something that he dealt with his mm-hmm. entire life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a, I'm glad you made that clarification. So going back to the documentary from the Los Angeles Times, here is a brief summary. It says this fast paced cradle to grave recounting of Ball and Arnaz and their famed collaborations, creative, romantic and familial, is chock full of irresistible archival footage and photos, captivating film and TV clips and stirring previously unheard audio of Lucy and Desi unearthed from daughter Lucy Arnaz's treasure trove of family memorabilia. The rare audio material mainly features excerpts of an interview with Ball conducted circa 1965 for Ladies Home Journal Mm. and and eventually used instead as a basis for her autobiography called Love Lucy that is actually sitting right here beside me on the table Mm -hmm. because your mom found this Mm -hmm. and brought it for us, didn't Mm -hmm. she? Awesome. And then to finish out the summary, it says it offers an intimate emotional window into the legendary actress-comedian and her unique place within both showbiz and her often fraught marriage to co-star and business partner Arnez. The Cuban-born band leader, actor, and producer is heard here in revealing recordings made late in his life for a never-published second memoir. So that's where all this information came from. And you can tell why it was so powerful when we got to see it and hear it. And just one last thought about that documentary before we jump in. I agree with you. I absolutely loved Lucy, the daughter Lucy, her overview where she talks at the start of the documentary and says, quote, at the core, it's all about unconditional love. And that just framed it for me because I felt it like that is what it was. It was this story of this couple who could not be together, but it was still like that love was there throughout. Yeah. Well, before we move into talking about Lucy's history, here's just a tiny bit more since we've just been talking about Lucy Jr. And is it is it okay if we call her Lucy Jr. just for clarification? I I think so. Yeah. I I just don't want listeners to get confused. Right. Okay. So since we've just been talking about Lucy Jr. I thought it would be fun to play a short clip from Carrie and Jeff mm-hmm. where they talk about having the opportunity to meet her at I one point. I heard they did that. That's neat. So let's take a listen. So in 2018, we did have the chance to meet Lucy and Desi's daughter, Lucy Arnez. We were performing at the Jamestown Lucy Fest in Lucy's hometown, Jamestown, New York. And it was also the opening of the National Comedy Center, which is fabulous, by the way. It's such an interactive and unique experience that I highly recommend you check that out if you are ever in the Jamestown area. But anyway, we had just finished performing and we were walking through the Comedy Center and somebody had said, oh, you might want to go back a couple of rooms. Lucy Arnaz is walking through. So after having just performed, we were still dressed as Lucy and Desi. And we kind of both walked into this space at the same time and saw Lucy Arnaz. And we both looked at each other like, should we should we bother her? Like, is this going to be okay? And almost at the same time, we both kind of looked at each other and were like, can I get a picture with you? And <laughs> I was just blown away. She was so nice. We ended up getting several pictures 
with her and chatted. And I'll never forget that she kind of elbowed Jeff and was like, my dad would have killed for those shoes he had on these black and white spectator shoes a la Desi. And it was just so neat to have that connection and be like, oh my gosh, I'm talking with Lucy Arnaz and your parents were Lucy and Desi. (laughs) Yeah, she was just, I mean, so very kind and um, she was enthused. I mean, she was actually excited, and, and that kind of made our day, the fact that she was so excited about us as we were about her. And uh, she talked about how her you know, her parents would have loved this, and uh, she truly appreciated the fact that, you know, we were honoring her uh, mother and, and father with the, what we were doing. So that, that meant a whole lot to us. That really did. Wasn't that cool? That's so neat. That's so neat <laughs> on, uh, on a couple different levels because I can appreciate how it would feel for Carrie and Jeff to meet the mm-hmm. child of your absolute hero and then I like that Lucy Jr. or Lucy Arnaz, I guess we could use those terms interchangeably, how supportive she is of her parents and how mm-hmm. much she loves her parents and wants to continue their legacy. Sometimes kids of Hollywood legends, they don't feel that kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like that impetuous to just continue the family. But mm-hmm. I feel like with both Lucy and Desi, that family was so important. Right. Lucy Arnaz was the one that took care of her father. Yes. In mm-hmm. his last days. So mm-hmm. it, that's just moving on a couple different levels. So I, I like that. I really like that. I agree. And you know, while we've kind of paused here and we've shared a little bit about Carrie and Jeff running into Lucy doing mm-hmm. their tribute show, let's go ahead and also play another clip from there okay. where they just briefly explain how they got into doing yeah, this tribute show. I'd really show. like to know that, yeah. I guess it started with the camper, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, both of us grew up, you know, with the love for I Love Lucy and uh, Lucy, but uh, we actually didn't start really entertaining until we made the camper and then people kept drawing correlations to us as Lucy and Desi and we thought well why not why don't we just do a, an act and uh, that's kind of where that started really and I mean we all know each other from the entertainment and theater world so it was just an extension of well why don't we create our own little tribute show to our favorite duo so thus the Lucy and Desi tribute show was born <laughs> about what three years ago four years ago four yeah four years ago so it started with a trailer. Very interesting. Isn't that cool? Oh. Yeah, I never I never knew that either. No. And they do have a, similar, a physical similarity to them, especially Carrie with her hair. They just do such an amazing job with the physicality, with the costumes, mm-hmm. with recreating some of those scenes. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy checking out some of the material that they've shared with us. Very cool. And, mm-hmm. and we're kind of talking in such a down tone. We are excited about this. It's just I get overwhelmed with melancholy thinking about people who have these grand legacies but just their personal lives couldn't work out and nothing against their secondary spouses because like Lucy Arnaz said they were married to their second spouses for longer than they were together Mm -hmm. and she said the public never didn't accept Gary Morton they just ignored him and they continue (laughs) to so So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to dissuade their second spouses I think they were very happy with him but it's just Mm -hmm. so sad to me that this love that they had just could not work yeah it's funny that you I'm glad you you named it because mm-hmm. when I went into this episode and I started researching Lucille Ball I was just like wow I did not realize how many amazing things this woman has done mm-hmm. and it really was kind of this more upbeat note mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but pretty quickly I went in and saw that documentary yeah. and it changed my whole angle yeah. all of a sudden instead of it just being about Lucy yeah 
I was really enmeshed in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And it and it is sad that they didn't work out. But I'm glad that you've kind of brought it to my attention. There's so many wonderful things here. So we yeah. do need to be excited <laughs> we do about need to be a little. It's good. We're, we are excited about her. But there's just, I don't know. It's hard to make heartbreak seem happy. Mm-hmm. We're going to work on it. We are. Here we go. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. So Lucille Desiree Ball was born to Henry and Desiree Ball in Jamestown, New York on August 6, 1911. And according to Lucy's own autobiography, Biography, Love Lucy, that we've already referenced, their family moved a lot. They lived for a time in Montana, then Michigan, which is where Henry, who was an electrician and a lineman, found work with a telephone company, Michigan Bell. But tragedy struck in 1915 when Lucy was only three years old. Mm. Her dad died after illnesses. It kind of sounded like a, a combination of things. I heard typhus, but I'm not sure exactly. But basically, a few years after Lucy's dad died, Desiree remarried a man named Ed Peterson, who was, um, they, they described him as a metal polisher. And the family moved soon after that to Celeron, New York, with Lucy's grandparents, which, of course, we saw in the in the documentary. Yeah. Are you going to talk about the thing that happened with that? Okay, because I need that to be clarified for me, because mm-hmm. I, I was a little confused about it. So when we get to that, clarify it for me. Okay. It said in one source that Lucy's family was among three families that were living in that house. So it, it sounded to me like the grandparents were taking in other relatives as well. And in her own autobiography, Lucy wrote, quote, my grandparents had little money, but they gave us a richly satisfying family life. That's great. And so I feel like that's the basis for everything that you were saying about mm-hmm. their love mm-hmm. of family and their mm-hmm. dedication to each other. Mm-hmm. So they they were poor. They were admittedly struggling for money, which means that everybody had to work to try to make ends meet. And we heard, I think in the documentary, Lucy was talking about selling hot dogs yeah. at one point. But she spoke very fondly of her childhood. She loved her grandfather in particular, and she felt like she had a, a good childhood there, and so she she seemed very grateful for the, for being taken in that way. Lucy's brother Fred, who we also heard on the documentary, even I wonder if that's why she named her neighbor Fred Mertz. I don't know, but that's a that's great the first inference. thing I wondered. Hmm, I like that. But on the documentary, he talked about his grandfather being very kind, and he said because they'd lost their biological dad and grew up with their grandfather, that they really saw him as their father figure. Mm-hmm. He's the one who kind of stepped into mm-hmm. that dad role. Mm -hmm. And of course, one thing that their grandfather did was take them to vaudeville shows every weekend. He was huge into that. And Lucy credits him for sparking her interest in the entertainment industry because of doing that. But then there was the tragedy, which I think is what you were referencing. Yeah. So explain it to me what happened. It's interesting because I pulled some of this from the documentary, but I also found not many sources gave details, but I found one source that tried to fill in a few of the gaps. So guys, this is the best I could figure it out. If somebody has more to add, please come onto our Facebook page and fill us in. But it said that when she was in her teen years, her grandfather came home one day with what she described as a, quote, mysterious object wrapped in brown paper. And it was a birthday present for her brother, Fred, on his 12th birthday. And of course, that object was a 22 caliber shotgun. Okay. Now, she recalled, and it was quoted that in some source, she said that her brother wanted to shoot crows right away. And so their stepfather, again, Ed Peterson, he set up some places where they could target practice with tin cans in the backyard. Now, on the documentary, Fred himself describes the tragedy. He does not mention Lucy being present, so I'm not sure if she was there or not. Okay. 
all he said was that he was there with his girlfriend is how he referenced her and a neighbor and the grandfather yes so what it says all the sources agree basically what ends up happening is that the neighbor boy a boy named warner ended up getting shot by the little girl joanna the girlfriend and here's how one source said it now i didn't find anything corroborating this so this is one source but it said allegedly when it was joanna's turn to shoot and she picked up the firearm warner's mother that's the neighbor boy warner's mother called out for him to come home warner ran right in front of the rifle just as joanna fired okay he was rushed to a local hospital where doctors discovered the bullet had severed his spinal cord leaving him unable to walk again okay that's the part that was confusing to me because on the documentary it sounded like they said an adult stood up as she was shooting and i thought was it grandpa Mm -hmm. and then when they said that grandpa ended up getting sued by the Mm -hmm. family it sounds like the only connection they had was it was their weapon but it was the girlfriend who did this so why was it that her family because it was their weapon well the way it sounds to me is they're all on grandpa's property grandfather's property he's the one who had given charge yeah he's in charge he's the one who had given the rifle to the 12 year old boy was letting these kids play with it in his backyard okay so i think it was he was held responsible basically yeah that's what i was confused Mm -hmm. about is why if he wasn't the one wielding it but it was more like you were the adult in charge this Mm -hmm. is why you're being held responsible and lucy did say in the documentary that when they sued they also made very ugly allegations so she said if i get this right that they were accused of using the boy for target practice (gasps) yeah she literally said they said quote horrible things so i think there was also that there were some allegations Mm. made that it was very very ugly Mm -hmm. yeah and of course it was devastating she wrote uh, this is a quote from something she wrote herself my grandfather never worked again the heart went out of him it ruined Celeron for us it destroyed our life together there and on the documentary we hear her say on one of her tapes he was never the same Mm, you wouldn't be no you wouldn't be you couldn't be over that no but what strikes me is again here we just talked about we're going to be happier and then we talk about this (laughs) tragic event how many comedians lives are built Mm -hmm. on tragedy Mm -hmm. because they want to make other people feel the way they did not feel does that make sense like Mm -hmm. how many people have so much suffering in their lives that they want to bring happiness that's Mm -hmm. why they want to bring happiness Mm -hmm. Um, I like that thought I think it also speaks to wanting to overcome Mm -hmm. like when you when you have hardship when you have bad things happen a lot of times it it, people who are very strong-willed like it makes them more determined than ever Mm -hmm. to overcome and to make good and Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. move on well according to her daughter Lucy Arnaz Lucy left for New York City as soon as she was old enough but things didn't go as well as she'd hoped it said that she went to try to take acting lessons and they sent her home according to Lucy Arnaz they said she had no talent and that her mother was wasting her money wow (laughs) so Lucy Jr. Lucy Arnaz said that her mom stayed in Jamestown a few more years did some plays here and there but she was always acting out she was always pretending putting on shows like this woman was meant to perform Mm -hmm. so after a few more years Lucy's mom told her to go back to New York City and try to pursue her dreams and that's what Lucy did so according to the documentary Lucy was only about 15 or 16 years old when she first tried to make her way in the entertainment world she started out trying to be a showgirl but she was not very good at it (laughs) and Lucy was so self-deprecating she would say she was a dud or yeah like she really was down on herself. Well, you know, know thyself. I mean, maybe she was. And she's just like, hey, that's just what I was. And 
I, I appreciate that. I like yeah, it when people I, are honest about what they were able to do. I liked it too. <laughs> but then she also, she knew her strengths because even on the documentary, she said she turned to modeling and she was good at that. There she you acknowledged go. she was good at it. But she decided she needed a new identity. So she took on a new name and said she was from Montana. And the new name she picked was Diane Belmont. And according to Lucy herself, she said, quote, I always loved the name Diane. And I was driving past the Belmont racetrack and the name seemed to fit together. It does. It's very glamorous mm-hmm. sounding. So she was incredibly successful as a model. She modeled everything from dresses to hats to cigarettes. She was beautiful. She really was. At one point, she became a Chesterfield girl. And in one of the articles, it said, quote, America grew to know her on billboards, magazine ads, and on posters in drugstore windows. She was getting her name out there yeah. as a model. Or Diane was. Diane Belmont was <laughs> from Montana. <laughs> but her break into film came when she was cast as one of the showgirls in the movie Roman Scandals, which came out in 1933. And it said in the documentary that, um, this was Lucy talking about it, she said it was so last minute that they like didn't have this. time to do a screen test. <laughs> she said, which is good because I'd have been terrible. That's right. She wouldn't have made it. <laughs> but because they couldn't do a screen test, she got that gig. It was supposed to take six weeks. It ended up taking six months. And that is where she realized she was meant for this and she was never going back. Her daughter, Lucy, is quoted as saying, quote, she went with the Goldwyn girls and made a movie called Roman Scandals with Eddie Cantor. And she was only out of work for 24 hours the rest of her life. What? I mean, that was, I think, being facetious, but she made the point. Like, that's it. That's what set her off on her career that made her mom basically a workaholic in that field forever. Yeah, I did get that too from mm -hmm. the documentary that she was definitely a workaholic. She was a workaholic and she also was very much in demand. Like, Mm -hmm. like I think it was a statement on the fact that once she broke into it, people wanted her. Mm -hmm. Like, she was always getting jobs. And you got to capitalize on that. That happens now. You know, we'll see a couple years where Charlize Theron will be in everything or Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lawrence will be in everything. Chris Pratt, all these people for a couple years, they'll be in everything and then they drop off. And I think they realize that. Like, I got to capitalize on this while I can because now we have more stars. Back then, we didn't have as many, you you know, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't as many choices. So she was sticking with it as long as it was going to take. And it ended up being a long ride. Yeah, this woman was a hard worker. Mm -hmm. She talked about the fact that back then you didn't have like set working hours. Right. And she might have been up until 3 a.m. finishing something and then the next day be called in at 6. Yep. And she was there. She was doing it. She was working hard. She would take any role. And I think that comes from the poverty. I think that definitely was part of it for Mm -hmm. sure. So she was active in movies. She didn't have like leads necessarily, but she would take it. The B movies, right? Mm -hmm. The queen of the B movies. Mm -hmm. And she would do whatever. That was another thing she said. You know, other actresses wanted to be beautiful, but if they said, you know, take a pie in the face, black your teeth, get into a fight, she was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. She did it all. Something that I didn't know as much about was the fact that she also got into radio. Some of her earliest gigs that I, I was trying to find out, like how, when did this start? How early did this start? And the earliest I could find was around 1937, 1938. And she was a regular on a show called Phil Baker's Golf headliners and she was also on The Wonder Show which was hosted by Jack Haley. Phil Baker's what? Phil Baker's golf headliners. I don't even know what, what it is means. That? I don't know. But she was on she it. She was on it. 
<laughs> yeah, but the the one that was super fascinating to me was this this one called the Wonder Show, which okay. was back then I think they named things after the products that sponsored oh, yeah, them. Yeah. So it was Wonder for Bread. Wonder Bread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jack Haley, by the way, is the guy who ended up being the Tin Man Tin and the Man. Wizard of Oz. You knew that, right? So she was on his show and she was a regular. I think they called her like his sidekick or something like that. But she she was on it quite a bit. She loved it. She got a good reaction. But here's the part that was fascinating to me. I found out just I'm taking just a little bit of a turn down this rabbit trail. You're doing it, Ashley. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it said that this Jack Haley was the host. And what happened was two weeks after the Wonder Show went on the air, Fox told Haley that they were loaning him out to MGM, who needed him as a last minute replacement for Buddy Epson in The Wizard of Oz. Remember how Buddy Epson had to drop out because he, he was, was hospitalized. Mm-hmm. He had an allergic reaction to that aluminum based makeup they right. put on him. So they had to replace him. So it said this is when Haley got called out of his radio gig and he had to spend the next several months working to film this Wizard of Oz uh, movie by day and then would still have to go and work on the radio show by night. Oh, mm-hmm. dang. It said he finished his scenes in the film in mid-January of 1939 and celebrated by incorporating a Wizard of Oz sketch into his January 20th episode of The Wonder Show. Wow. So he finished filming in January of 1939 and that, that movie came out later that year in 1939. That's some fast editing. They, they did some work back that then. That is a respect, you guys. I respect that. Yeah. Well, one last comment is it was this early work, of course, which would lead to her getting her career changing role in My Favorite Husband. But we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Probably a lot of people have heard of that one. Well, why don't we pause here and take a break and we'll come back and talk a little more about Lucy. Sounds good to me. Have some hot tea you'd like to spill? Don't forget, May is a listener request month. Submit your suggestions at scandalwaterpodcast.com no later than May 1st. If we select your topic, we'll send you a Scandal Water Podcast sticker as a thank you. Cheers! All right, so moving on, do you remember the story of how Lucy and Desi met from the documentary? Uh, Oh, yes. Okay, so he was cast in a film, Mm -hmm. and she was going to play the ingenue, and she had been doing something, and she came from shooting, and she had a black eye. Or I don't think it was a real black eye. It was a black eye makeup. Right. And she walked past him and they said, that's Lucille Ball. He's like, that's the ingenue? That's going to be who plays it? But then he saw her later that night and he's like, what a woman. They said, you already met her. That's Lucille Ball. He's like, that's Lucille Ball? <laughs> so he pretty, I think he was pretty much infatuated from second sight. <laughs> it wasn't second, love at first sight. It was second not sight. love at first sight. It was love at second sight. I thought it was a cute story. So I thought I would, I would let you tell that because I knew you'd remember. So to fill in a few more of those details, Lucy was 20. 28 and Desi Arnaz was 23. Oh, I uh-huh. wondered what the age she difference was. Older. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. When they met and it was they were filming that RKO Studios movie called Too Many Girls, okay. which by the way, sadly some people said later was pretty ironic considering how he turned into such a womanizer. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Desi was starring in a Broadway musical that the film was based on. He and so that's how he got pulled into this right. film and he was a band leader and then Lucy of course was pulled in as you said to to fill in that role of the ingenue. They said it was an unlikely match. Here she's already older than he is. Mm-hmm. She always liked to date taller, older men. And it said he was already engaged to someone else. I did not dig into that. Oh. But 
but it was just mentioned in a source, so take that for what it is. Okay. But they fell in love anyway, and they ended up eloping only six months after they met in yeah, November. Yeah, it was of really fast. And I think what it said in the documentary is on that first, even on that first date, they talked about how important family was mm-hmm. to them and how they were both supporting their parents. He yeah. was supporting his mother. And one thing I thought that was interesting about Desi is that he's the reason that we had the conga craze. Yes. yes. I did not realize that he brought the conga. Isn't that cool? Yes, very mm-hmm. cool. And that I learned so much about him. I'd already heard, I, I already too. knew a, a lot about Lucy, but I learned a lot about him too. Yeah, same here. Just kind of follow up on that age thing. A good housekeeping article I found mm-hmm. said that at that time, it was considered very taboo for an older woman to marry a younger man. And so on their marriage certificate, the couple supposedly both listed their birth year as 1914 so that it would They'd look as though age. they were the same age. Oh. She was actually born in 1911. He was actually born in 1917. So they both like fudged it oh. like to meet in the middle. Okay. It was also supposedly a little unusual for her and him to match up just because the fact that he was... Dark skin. Yeah, he was a mm-hmm. person of color and, mm-hmm. and she was not. And so mm-hmm. that was something else that was unusual for that yes. time period. Yes. Yeah. But it said, after they were married, Desi's career as an actor at MGM fizzled. So he ended up going into the army for three and a half years. And then, of course, he was also touring on the with road his with his band when he wasn't in the army. And so, according to Lucy in the documentary, he was basically gone. On for eight and ten. a half of the first nine years of the marriage. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were yeah. together for the, like, I think they said in the first 10 years of their marriage, they were together a year and a half. Isn't that awful? I mean, I just can't even imagine. They separated for a period of time in 1944. Lucy filed for divorce. Even back then, allegedly, it was because of infidelity. Really? And he was doing some drinking. Oh, see, I thought that happened more later on when he got really stressed with the job. I mean, I think it came back, but I, I saw in more than one source that they had this mm. breakup in 1944 for a time anyway okay and they reconciled but part of that reconciliation was them saying they needed to work together they needed to find projects they could do together Mm -hmm. because she did think that that was what was going to save her marriage okay so their opportunity to work together came in 1948 when cbs decided to turn that radio program we were just talking about my favorite husband was this radio show that lucy had been starring in she'd actually wanted her husband to be in it with her from the get-go and they were like no and they had her you know a different guy was cast as her husband Mm -hmm. but when they decided to take it to tv lucy was like no i want it to be my husband and they they did not do it no they didn't want to do it do you want to tell them how that happened i think it was desi's idea he said okay so you want to see if america will accept us then come on the road with me we'll do some of our sketches and we'll see what america thinks Mm -hmm. about us and they loved them just loved them together and that was what gave the studio the okay the, the the green light to think we will let you go ahead and do this that's right absolutely it said, um, here's the way it was written in my notes, sticking to their guns, they launched this touring vaudeville act and they were basically showcasing, you know, this is their chemistry. This is mm-hmm. how they can work together. And as you said, it was incredibly, incredibly successful. It also caused them to launch their production company, Desi Lu, mm-hmm. which it was their names put together. Of course, we've already said that, but this was in preparation for them going into this TV show together. So this all kind of happened at the same time. They okay. were they, the summer of 1950 was when they took this tour and they also formed their company right around the same time. Okay. And so by 1951, CBS and their sponsor, Philip Morris, said, yep, we're ready to do this. And they okayed this weekly half-hour comedy program, which would co-star this husband and wife team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something else I thought that Desi was really smart about, he said, Lucy's better in front of a live audience. Mm-hmm. So let's do it in front of a live audience. But he also wanted to do the three-camera setup. Mm-hmm. And it 
was too expensive. So he had a rule of no retakes. That's right. And I don't know if about for the second, third, or however many seasons they had, but in that first season, they said they did 41 shows in 41 weeks, and what happened, happened. Yeah, isn't that, that crazy? It's crazy. That's like theater television right yeah. there. Wow. Well, to, to kind of piggyback on that, Desi Lou, by the way, was the first ever independent television production company. That's amazing. So there's a groundbreaking thing right yeah, there. Yeah. And then, as you said, part of it was Lucy was better in... She feeds off the audience. Right, in front of a live audience. Mm-hmm. But also, they didn't want to leave their house. They remember they're trying more for their relationship. Yeah, and they didn't want to go to New York. So they That's didn't right. want to That's go right. to New York. And yeah. this allowed them... Because Because they were able to do this film, but in front of a live audience, it allowed them to stay in their home. That's right. What Mm -hmm. did he say it was? Everything was filmed in kinetoscope or something? Kinescope. Kinescope. And so it was really bad quality. So he said, let's put it on film. And that's what gave him the three camera setup. Ah, Mm -hmm. that's right. So, But it was too expensive. This is the way it was written here in my notes. When executives balked at the idea of the dominant East Coast audience watching the show by way of kinescope, which was a low quality recording used to accommodate the time zone differences, that's when Desi suggested they record the series on high quality film. And that took them, as you said, to that three camera setup. So it all sync up. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was CBS and and the different people producing the show said, well, hang on. We don't want to spend all this money. This is going to be super expensive. So that made, he was so smart. He was Mm -hmm. so business savvy. Mm -hmm. Desi came back and said, fine, we'll take off $1,000 from our weekly salary in exchange for Desi Lou Productions obtaining full ownership of the final product. Smart man. Uh, Yeah, he later sold the rights back to CBS for millions. Wow. And all told, it said in in one of the sources that Desilu's profits reached five million by 1961 so like they were getting their money back so quickly like it was just amassing so super super smart like he was really he he just had an intuition yeah, about stuff he did he did well in the meantime lucy had become pregnant with their first child and lucy's friends later would say that lucy believed having a baby would strengthen their bond so mm. like i mean they wanted a baby but mm-hmm. i think she also was very hopeful that this would solidify their marriage mm-hmm. as this show and working together would i think she was really a about this family, like mm-hmm. keeping Her this family. little family yeah. together. Yeah. And it said that for a while it really worked. A quote from biographer Bart Adams said, Some of Desi's womanizing was alleviated from the moment little Lucy was born. So it was it was going on. Really? Yeah, it, yeah it really is. So Lucy Arnaz was born in July of 1951, and the I Love Lucy show started in October of 1951. That was really close together. Yeah, it was. That's a lot of life changes. So I Love Lucy started in the fall of 1951, and any reservations or concerns they have about how the public would accept this husband and wife team evaporated evaporated because (laughs) i mean it was huge really quickly of course they said that the casting of fred who was played by william frawley and ethel mertz who was played by vivian vance was part of that but really it was this this couple that everybody loved and they said i love lucy surged to the top spot in the ratings before the end of its first season Mm. before long they had 40 million viewers tuning in every week well it was new 
It was just this new way of doing it. And it's a it's a good premise where you have the husband in the show business and he's wanting to dial back show mm-hmm. business and he married a woman who wants to get into show business. <laughs> yes. So all she's trying to do is get into <laughs> it and break in and he's trying to... Re- That's a good conflict. It totally is. Yeah. And they said that it, so many reasons behind why it was popular from the fact that they were so relatable. Yeah. Like Lucy... She's a housewife. She would make fun of herself. Yeah. She would be the woman with the blacked out teeth. She'd yeah. be the woman... You know, like So she was very relatable in addition to being incredibly funny. And I loved what the one guy, honestly, I can't remember what his job was, but David Daniels was his name. He was on the documentary and his quote was that I love Lucy built every episode around the idea of fracture and then coming back together. I thought that was so insightful because who doesn't like that satisfying idea Mm -hmm. of reconciliation and a happy ending of every single episode. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved it. So in the documentary, you saw the headlines and the way they were billed as, you know, the number one team of television, America's number one show, a newspaper headline that said Desi Lucy ranked among the wealthiest. They were just raking it in. And Lucy in particular was adored. I love that quote from Desi where he said, quote, Lucy was the most loved character in the world. And he said it was such love. I know. Yeah. I know. I just love that. We haven't heard from Carrie and Jeff in a while. And Mm. they had a little quote here where they talked about Lucy and why they thought she was so popular. So let's take a minute and listen to them. All right. Lucille Ball was so gifted in comedy. And I love that it was her work ethic that made that comedy so effortless. I mean, she rehearsed, 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 and practiced, practiced, practiced until she got it right. She's quoted as saying, I'm not funny, which, you know, is kind of funny in itself because she was so dedicated to her craft and she made it look effortless. I just love her style of comedy and I love even more knowing what it took to get to that level. Her mannerisms, her expressions, everything was so practiced and it was just that dedication to her craft that I love and it's so entertaining to watch time and time again. So I love that Carrie brought up that point about how much work she put into making it seem effortless. Like that was such a great point. It is. And we've talked about that. I think we've talked about that before where if you're really good at your job, it seems effortless. Mm -hmm. But you know how Fred Astaire made dancing look effortless and it was a lot of practice. Yeah. And also like how honest she, again, going back to how honest she was, she's like, I wasn't that good. It was just a result of a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. So I like that she seems to be, I don't know if humble is the right word, but she seems to be very realistic. Mm -hmm. There was a quote from a lady. She's actually the director of archives and research for the National Comedy Center. Her name was Laura LaPlaca, I believe. And it was in the documentary. And I liked her quote so much that I wrote it down. Mm -hmm. Here's what she said. I don't like when people call her work effortless. Mm. There were no advantages to being a woman in the 1950s television industry. She wasn't lucky. She wasn't a genius. She wasn't innately talented. She really built her success. I remember that from the documentary. I mean, like it got me. I was like, wow. Yeah. And this same lady talked about the fact that she had studied Lucy since she was five years old. And she talked about Lucy almost having a scientific approach Mm -hmm. to what Mm -hmm. generates a laugh. Mm -hmm. Like, like this is an extremely meticulous, Mm -hmm. calculated thing that Lucy was doing. It really was a craft, Mm -hmm. which I think was the word that Carrie used in her little audio clip. So I, I love that. 
And one last thought was how Lucy talked about it was intentional. She was the playful character. Desi was the straight man. Like they set it all up. Yeah. And to follow up on that, Carol Burnett, who you've already referenced, said that Lucy was, quote, fearless in her comedy. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that physicality that we were talking about. And then, of course, Bette Midler said that she was someone very beautiful who wasn't afraid to look ugly, which was especially unusual at that time. It really was. Mm -hmm. So we asked Carrie and Jeff to weigh in with some of their favorite I Love Lucy moments and they spoke a little bit more about the show and why it was such a strong production so let's let's hear what they said about that well my most favorite come from my favorite movie the long long trailer I saw that movie when I was little and one I was just obsessed with the idea of having my own little home on wheels but the situations that they get themselves into are just so funny and of course we know those situations with our own camper we have our own little tribute to Lucy and Desi in our camper that we call the not so long trailer which is about a third of the size of the one that they had but we have those moments and those experiences and it's just funny living that camping lifestyle and to see it played out on film by Lucy and Desi is just it's close to home. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, some of the funnier moments for me, you know, with the I love Lucy anyway, are obviously with, with Desi, but I love a lot of Fred's stuff. Yes. I mean, I just think Fred, his character, was so well-written, and he was perfect for that role. The characters in that show, all four of them, uh, they just work so well together, and I think that was another thing that made that show so great, was the casting of the other two, which was, you know, Vivian Vance and... Um, William Frawley. William Frawley. Uh, yeah, I think... The, that combination was just perfection. It was that combination of the right cast, the right time, and the right writers. The writers yeah. So Lucy had pulled Bob, Carol, and Madeline Pugh from her radio show, My Favorite Husband. And you'll notice if you listen to some of her earlier radio shows, some of the same plots and even some of the same lines come across in later episodes of I Love Lucy. But that writing team was just a gem. I mean, and it stands the test of time. These moments, these situations, and the lines are still still funny today and I think that's what keeps I Love Lucy we're still talking about her and the show I love some of the things that that they just brought up the writing yes. it was it was yes. powerful I like how she said it was a combination of all of that and and one thing again going back to what they talked about with Desi is that if he didn't know how to do it he was smart enough to surround himself with people who did mm-hmm. and he yes. hired people who knew what they were doing as yes. they were figuring it all out absolutely mm-hmm. and then what Jeff brought up about the casting yes I mean that it, it was a combination of these things yeah you know Ashley I've just noticed <laughs> that we are maybe halfway through my notes and probably looking it a pretty long episode. Do you think we should make this a two-parter? I'm okay with it if, if the kids at home are. <laughs> if the kids at home were 80. <laughs> I love that. Armchair psychologist. Before we go, let's do our armchair psychologist. Okay. Why don't we share our thoughts okay. about what we've discussed so far, what we've seen and heard so far. Okay. And then we'll come back and we will finish this episode up next week. That sounds good to me. Okay. So, so what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> you did. You did. One of my thoughts, I think, is how little I knew about Lucy's shrewdness. Yeah. And her intelligence. Yeah. And her work ethic, which then parallels with how little I knew about the exact same qualities for Desi. Yes. Like they've both just blown me away with with that. You know, I talked about at the top of the episode that I had nothing against Lucille Ball or, or Desi Arnaz. Mm-hmm. It was Lucy Ricardo and the loudness of her mm-hmm. voice. So there's, you know, no nothing wrong with them. That was just my my childhood 
kick him in. So for me, I am discovering them. Right. You know, I am discovering these people that I kind of avoided a little bit and learning how significant they were in our culture Mm -hmm. and how hardworking they were and how family oriented Mm -hmm. they were. And I'm so sad about Desi's dalliances because they didn't touch on that in the documentary. So I didn't realize that it was as prevalent as it Mm -hmm. was to be such a family man. And then to do that, that's a little disappointing to me, but okay, let's, Let's take the personal life out of it. Let's just focus on the professional side. I admire very much how he was able to come from nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, how he was able to start over from nothing. Yes. And to kind of guess his way to this success Mm -hmm. and how hard she worked to be the success and how honest she was about her own level of talent and said, I don't care if I'm not the most talented, I'm going to work the hardest. It harkens me back to Marilyn Mm. because that was also Marilyn's philosophy early on of I'm going to work the hardest. I'm going to show up at 6am and I'm going to be here because what if opportunity knocks and I'm not there to answer? So I see a lot of that same drive. You know, and she valued that. You're talking about Marilyn made me remember something that came up in the research was Ginger Rogers. Is yeah. it Ginger Rogers who danced with Fred Astaire? And yes. Lucy talked at one point about she, I don't remember what the role was, but Ginger's mom was somehow involved in the entertainment industry. And Lucy kind of studied under her a little bit. And so she watched firsthand the way Ginger worked hard, worked hard and really did not innately have this dance ability, this acting ability, any of these skills. But Lucy applied how hard this other actress yeah. and dancer worked to get yeah. what she wanted. And that was something she clearly valued. Yeah, I think that's what we're learning is that we admired all these people and we just kind of took it for granted that they got the, where they were because of who they are, but they worked really hard. Yeah, either who they were or just some innate ability. Yeah. But these mm-hmm. were people who went after it. Like they yes. made it happen. They created their own success. Yeah. I agree. Well, let's end our first part with just a cheers to, to Lucy and Desi. Yes, let's. And you know who else I would like to cheers is Amy Poehler. Yes, yes, for I agree. Putting, for putting this together and for introducing us to a new side of them that we may never have known. Mm. So thank you, Amy. And thank you to Lucy Arnaz. Absolutely. Too. So all four of them. All cheers four of them, them. I agree. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas. That's me. And Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the scandal water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.